we got commitments coming down the pipeline this week and joining us to talk about that and some other recruiting nuggets. We got Parker Thune, OU Insider from 247 Sports on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation, and welcome to Locked On Sooners. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. They're the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college terms and conditions apply. Thank you for joining us. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. And joining me is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref. Josh, what's up, man? What is going on? We do have, we think, good news on the horizon for Oklahoma. And that means we got to call in the expert. We got to welcome in Parker Thune to Lockdown Sooners. Parker, what's up, man? How we doing? Man, always a pleasure to jump on with you guys. Uh, as you mentioned, big week ahead for Oklahoma. Uh, I've said for a while, I believe they go at least one for two with the pair of players that are going to be committing on August 26th. The Sooners haven't taken a whole lot of L's, though, uh, in these high-profile recruiting battles as of late. So Brent Venables and this staff, no doubt, going to attempt to pull off a sweep when we get announcements from Anthony Evans and Macari Vickers this Friday. So where do you think they're leaning and which one do you think is potentially the most likely? I know both of those guys have, have really been targeted by a lot of these high level teams, these big time programs. I mean, Anthony Evans recruitments just kind of been all over the place. It has John and looking ahead to these two decisions, which should come down within hours of one another. Uh, I'm very confident that the Sooners end up landing Macari Vickers, and I've had a crystal ball prediction in uh, to reflect that belief since early June. Uh, really, whenever Keon Brown committed in the aftermath of the Champion Barbecue, uh, especially as somebody that wasn't even on an official visit at that point, hadn't yet taken his official visit, uh, and also comes from the same hometown as Macari Vickers. Those two are close. They've known each other for a while. Uh, it really solidified to me uh, that Vickers was going to end up in Norman because things were already trending in that direction. It just seemed like Vickers needed somebody else to jump in the boat with him to increase that comfort factor. And who better to do it uh, than the other stud from your hometown, Tallahassee, Florida, uh, in the three-star wide receiver, Keon Brown. So once the Sooners got that surprise commitment for Brown, it greatly increased my confidence that the Sooners were going to end up closing on Vickers as well. And I believe they're in p position to do so heading into his announcement this Friday evening. Anthony Evans, as you mentioned right off the top, uh, has had a very, very interesting recruitment, to say the very least. Uh, was committed to Arkansas for quite a while, decommitted uh, in the winter, actually in order to take a visit to Oklahoma. That was the reason why he decommitted from Arkansas is because he wanted to visit Oklahoma. He picked up the OU offer. Uh, OU began to trend pretty nicely in that recruitment. But then you got Georgia creeping into the mix. Texas A&M emerged as did Penn State. It really became about those four programs uh, as spring gave way to summer. And then down the stretch here, it's really felt like a two-team race between OU and Georgia. Uh, I'll say this. 
there is confidence in both camps right now, which you get a situation every now and again, uh, a situation like this when you're covering recruiting day in and day out. There, You'll be a week from decision day, and you'll have two programs, if not more, that feel very, very good about where they stand with a particular player. And, you know, the old adage, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none uh, is always the analogy, or I guess it's, it's the hallmark that people abide by when you're talking about a quarterback battle, when you're talking about a recruiting battle, when you got two programs confident, nobody should be confident. That's just, (laughs) that's the reality of the situation. And so I am much less confident in Oklahoma's chances with Anthony Evans. And I think at this point, it's just about a 50-50 coin flip between the two, and I don't think it's over one way or another. Uh, I would hazard a guess that Anthony Evans still has plenty to think about uh, as he creeps closer and closer to that commitment date. But across the recruiting industry, there's not even a consensus as to where Anthony Evans lands. You see expert predictions for Oklahoma, including my own. You see expert predictions for Georgia. So. Uh, it is it's one of those situations where uh, we may not know until he picks up the hat. Uh, either way, you do have confidence coming out of the Oklahoma camp and you do have confidence coming out of the Georgia camp. So, again, everybody's confident, which means nobody should be confident heading into uh, yet another August 26th decision for the four star wideout out of San Antonio. So then on that subject. What gives you confidence, Parker, that Anthony Evans ultimately picks OU? So I've I've felt for a while that Oklahoma is where Anthony Evans wants to be in his heart of hearts. And uh, you don't have to look much further than the reason he decommitted from Arkansas in the first place. Right. He decommitted from Arkansas because Oklahoma has started to express more interest. They wanted him to come take a visit so that they could offer him. Uh, but he had to decommit from Arkansas first. He did. He took the visit. Uh, he got the offer. And ever since then, it's really felt like Oklahoma hasn't hasn't led this thing by a drastic margin, but they've been comfortably in front. And Georgia has tightened things up. They've made this a race over the last couple of months. Uh, but, man, I really do believe that with his relationship uh, with LaDamian Washington in particular. This is a recruitment that LD Washington was very, very heavily involved with even before he took over as interim, interim wide receivers coach in the aftermath of Cale Gundy's resignation. I don't want to say it's a slam dunk because I don't think it is, as I mentioned, but I think the relationship with LaDamian Washington and the relationship with Jackson Arnold as well uh, can give Oklahoma some legitimate confidence heading into that Friday decision. And uh, things may change over the next few days. Uh, whenever this drops in the morning, there could be a completely different read on this recruitment than there is uh, today on Sunday night. Uh, and that's just the way things go down in the world of recruiting, especially so close to a decision uh, when you got a guy that's seems to be legitimately waffling between a couple of schools. So uh, five days till Evans locks it in and I have no doubt that there will be some movement between now and then. The question is, does that movement favor Oklahoma or does it favor Georgia? And as kind of high school seasons get kicked off and you know they're underway, are there any other 2023 guys that might kind of offer a surprise commitment or might be somebody that Oklahoma's targeting that might commit before we get to September? I think the big surprise in this cycle uh, came down in early June. And I think it was Keon Brown, a guy that we just talked about, but at this point um, 
I don't know that you're going to see any big surprises down the stretch for Oklahoma. I think it's pretty clearly cut and dried uh, and evidence as to who Oklahoma is still pursuing late in the cycle. They've got 20 commits, so the list of guys just keeps shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. Obviously, A1 in terms of priority is DJ Hicks, the five-star defensive lineman out of Katy, Texas. Um, throw Jordan Renaud in there, four-star defensive lineman. Cecilia Kana is another guy that Oklahoma is still pressing very hard for. Uh, they're making quite a run at Malachi Coleman. Uh and he's really the only offensive guy, save for Anthony Evans, uh, that's still on the board that they got to go and get. Uh, so if Anthony Evans ends up going to Georgia, maybe they make a push for a different wide receiver, uh, somebody that doesn't yet have an offer or somebody like a Mikhail Harrison pilot that's still uncommitted, but that the Sooners haven't been in regular contact with in quite some time. Uh, so I think your offensive class is pretty much a wrap as soon as you add another receiver and another tight end. Uh, the Sooners would ideally like that to be Anthony Evans and Malachi Coleman, but sometimes your best laid plans don't work out. It's really hard to bet against the staff the way that they've been recruiting as of late. And as I as I mentioned earlier, it just doesn't seem like they can lose lately. And so that's that's about it for the offensive board. Defensively, you're looking at Vickers, Akana, Renaud, DJ Hicks, and then, of course, uh, the two Denton Geyer defensive backs, Peyton Bowen and Ryan Yates that the Sooners are going to continue to work the lines with and attempt to flip Bowen's still in technicality committed to Notre Dame and Yates is still in technicality committed to LSU. But both of them have been very open about the fact that uh, their recruitment itself is still open. So those are the, I think I named eight guys. Those are the eight guys that are worth watching. Uh, down the stretch for Oklahoma as this cycle comes to conclusion. But if any of those guys committed to Oklahoma, I don't think it would be a huge surprise at this point. So, no, I, I don't think we get anything that would be reasonably quantified as a shock. Definitely want to hear more about Bowen uh, Bowen and Yates' possibility to uh, end up in, well, crimson and cream for, for Oklahoma. But, uh, you know, with Makari Vickers and with Anthony Evans, these decisions that are here so close, Parker, you've said you feel feel good about one, which is Makari Vickers, and then the other one we discussed in detail with Anthony Evans. Okay, that, that maybe is as much as a coin flip. If Oklahoma gets those commitments, take us through, I mean, what kind of players are Makari Vickers and Anthony Evans? Yeah, well, Vickers is a guy that has displayed a lot of versatility over the course of his high school career. The all around all-around athletic profile is very, very intriguing with a kid like that because he's played cornerback, he's played safety, he can bounce inside and play nickel at the next level, although the Sooners, uh, their initial plan for him is to put him at cornerback should he commit to the Sooners on uh, Friday. Excuse me. Uh, so they're recruiting him as a cornerback. Alabama and Michigan, from what I understand, are also recruiting him as a cornerback, so that seems to be uh, the fit for him at the next level, but he's a very very gifted all-around defensive back who can play any of those three spots. Uh, he's also contributed offensively to quite a degree uh, at the prep level. And he's got some size, uh, six foot one, 190 pounds. So uh, he's by no means a diminutive guy. And we've seen diminutive guys have success at Oklahoma at the cornerback position. Uh, Jaden Davis right now is a guy that's looking like he's going to start for the Sooners as a senior. And what a resurgence it's been for him. But uh, obviously, if you can get some height and you can get some stature at that position, you're better off for it, generally speaking. 
And so uh, you pair him with Jacoby Johnson, whom the Sooners just got committed last week, as well as Josiah Wagner, who, uh, though he's only five foot eleven, is a lengthy five foot eleven. He got some tremendous athleticism and some tremendous size at the cornerback position in this class. Jay Valise first at the University of Oklahoma. And then an Anthony Evans, man, it's just speed, speed, and more speed. I mean, we're talking about a guy that runs a sub 10, 300 meter dash, which I mean, we're talking about truly elite speed at that point, not above average speed, not plus speed, truly elite speed. And uh, you pair him with a guy that has a similar athletic profile in Jaquay's Petaway, and then a guy that brings some size to the table in Keon Brown. You're really, really confident that Oklahoma's wide receiver class uh, is going to be a problem down the line. All three of those guys are going to be able to contribute uh, in expanded offensive roles for the Sooners on their own timetables. Maybe one cracks it a little sooner than the rest, or maybe they all come into their own uh, right around the same time chronologically. But one way or another, I think you're looking at three guys that will play a lot of ball and a lot of very good ball at the University of Oklahoma. And that's obviously contingent upon the Sooners closing on Evans and being able to add him to the fold alongside Petaway and Brown. Yeah, you can't teach speed. And then when, yep. what they always say is speed kills. And that's something I feel like Oklahoma def, definitely could add. That's something I wonder. We, we loved it with Marquise Brown. Marvin Mims has some of it, but it's kind of like that deceptive speed. It's not that just blow you away from the jump kind of a thing. So, yeah, that Anthony Evans commitment, if they can get that one, that would be huge for the Oklahoma Sooners. All right, coming up next, we've got a couple quarterback battles we got to talk about that came down. Uh, on the Big 12 front. And then Miguel Chavis had some thoughts on the college football playoff expansion that we want to discuss as well. But first, let me talk to you about LinkedIn. As you get ready for fall, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job in the purple hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire faster. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rank LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I also want to talk to you about BetOnline. BetOnline.net is the fastest and the easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find your favorite sports, events, and at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. You can also get in on the college football future odds, Oklahoma's odds to win the national championship, Dylan Gabriel's odds to win the Heisman, all at BetOnline. So head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening. Bet online is where the game starts. All right, guys. So a couple quarterback competitions came down, uh, were announced over the weekend. First, let's let's start with the big one. That's Quinn Ewers announced. Well, I've I've seen where people have said it was Steve Sarkeesian that announced it, but really it was the SID that announced it uh, during some player availability. But Quinn Ewers wins the quarterback competition over Hudson Card. Any surprises on that front, Parker? I mean, it was a bit of a surprise because there seemed to be some credible buzz 
literally hours before the announcement that it was going to be Hudson card that took the snaps to start the season for Texas. And look, it's been discussed ad nauseum on social media, how much of this was Sark's decision versus how much of it were, how much of it was the boosters forcing their hands. I, I don't know. And I'm really not going to, I'm not here to speculate on that. Uh, here's what I do know. Quinn Ewers is a guy that, has not thrown a pass at the collegiate level. And had he not reclassified, we're talking about a guy that would be a true freshman this year. So this is this is a lot on his shoulders. And now that you've made the decision in favor of the younger guy, this is a decision you got to roll with, right? If you roll Hudson Card out there and you get shellacked by Alabama in game number two, which I think is going to happen any way you slice it. I don't think you'll encounter a whole lot of disagreement on that front. But if you start card for the first two games and you're getting it handed to you by Alabama, nobody's going to fault you at that point for plugging in yours and seeing what he gives you over the course of the rest of the season, much like they did last year with card and Casey Thompson. And I had it on pretty good authority that Casey Thompson was the better quarterback anyway, dating all the way back to spring ball. So I was kind of figuring that the Longhorns were going to employ the same strategy that they employed the year previous, which would be take the less talented guy, throw him to the wolves for two games. And then once everybody realizes, okay, this is going nowhere fast. We need to, uh, we need to witness a change and we can't fault Sark for the way that he's about to handle this situation, making the change. Then you go with the guy that you wanted all along. And I think Quinn Ewers is the guy that uh, most everybody down at Texas wanted all along. And uh, I'll say this, from what I heard, Card had a better fall uh, or fall camp, excuse me, a slightly better fall camp. But I think when you're dealing with a close battle in general, you're always going to roll with the guy that has the, the higher upside. And that's Quinn Ewers right now for Texas. Again, though, I want to bring it back to this fact and hammer this point home. This is a decision that Steve Sarkeesian has to live with now because it is not going to be easy. If indeed Hudson Carr did have the better fall, it's not going to be easy for you at some point down the line, say things aren't coming together for you or say the offense is floundering and you do need to make a change. Well, now you got to sit down your multi-million dollar golden boy consensus number one overall recruit, uh, the guy that has become the face of Texas football. And now you got to hand things off to the guy that was probably the safer option all along and outperformed the younger guy in fall camp. For so many reasons, that's not a great situation for Sark. So you are betting on Ewers panning out. And if Ewers doesn't pan out, it's going to get real ugly down there on the 40 acres. So uh, I don't think Texas fans are too up in arms about the decision. I think the consensus all along is that Ewers was the guy that they wanted to. But again, there's a lot riding on this season for both Texas as a program and Steve Sarkeesian, because uh, if you can't get it done with this cast of characters that they've assembled and you can't take a quantum leap, that doesn't leave you a whole lot of optimism that things are going to get better under Sark. And so I know there was there there were some conversations being had towards the end of last season as to whether Sark was going to be one and done in Austin. Well, he's got a lot of pressure now because uh, there are no there are no longer any excuses 
He's brought in an elite recruiting class. He's established his culture. Uh, he's handed things off. He's handed the reins of his offense to a quarterback that is as ballyhooed of a prospect at the position as we have seen in years and years and years. So it's got to happen for Texas. If it doesn't, it might be Sark's neck. And Josh, what do you think about the decision there? I'm torn. I'm, I'm torn on it. I probably what I was going to ask Parker next was, how do you feel? I mean, do you think Texas got this right? Because I, I don't know where I stand with that. I mean, from from a general standpoint, probably yeah, I do think Texas got it right. Just because, guess what? Uh, for all of the reasons that Parker just mentioned right there, Quinn Ewers, yeah over Hudson card has, we're told we believe and Parker would be the right person to speak to this based on just the recruiting front. He's got the higher ceiling. So from that standpoint, that alone makes me feel like, okay, they got it right. I don't know, you know, with these high level type recruits, I mean, is Quinn Ewers really going to be shook if he goes out there and throws four or five interceptions versus Alabama. Now I know that's a, sounds like dramatic, right? You'd say four or five interceptions, but it's okay. Yeah, it's a little wild, but it is technically a possibility. Two, three interceptions versus Alabama, and you lose that game by a landslide. I, you hear people say this from time to time, like, oh, wh what is that going to do to this kid's confidence? What is that going to do going forward? I like to live in the world, uh, live in the belief where it's probably not honestly going to affect Quinn Ewers that much, but other people would ask that question. So from that standpoint, to me, it's did did Texas get this right? I think probably they did just based on a talent perspective alone. I also asked this question. Does this set the stage to get to Arch Madness a little bit quicker? I mean, is that partially what this is about, too? And it's hard to say. I do think if I'm in Steve Sarkeesian's position, there's a lot of politics that you have to be mindful of when you're the head coach at the University of Texas. But to be honest, I think the least of all evils would have been to start Hudson card because look, you are not beating Alabama. You're not. When they come to town on September 10th, that is not going to be much of a football game. And so if you make a quarterback switch during or in the aftermath of that game, nobody can be all that upset. Right. And so you have an opportune time at that point to hand things off to your guy in Quinn Ewers and give him a clean slate. But in the meantime, you can give Hudson card the nod for the first two games and you can legitimately say, Hey, he won this job in fall camp. We're going to give him the first shot because he deserves it. You don't have to stay married to that opinion and that decision beyond September 10th, because I, I don't know how you guys feel about that game. I feel as though that's going to be a bloodbath. I mean, you saw what Arkansas did to Texas in week two last year when it was the end of the line for Hudson Card as a starter. It's going to be more of the same and to the nth degree when Alabama comes to the 40 acres. I mean, there might be people that are really ready to get rid of Steve Sarkeesian after that game. Like, it could be so bad that people are just ready, like, we're done, you know? Because I, I, you know college football fans, even though it's Alabama, they're going to be incredibly optimistic thinking that they have – there are going to be some people that think they have a chance against Alabama, with especially with Quinn Ewers, the golden boy, at quarterback. Those people are delusional, but they're Texas fans, so we'll forgive them and offer some grace. But, I mean, it would not surprise me if we wake up on Sunday morning to you know a, a Texas Twitter thread 
of why Steve Sarkeesian needs to be fired today. Like it would not surprise me in the least. Let's turn the corner though. Let's talk about Texas Tech's quarterback battle that came down. Now this one surprised me a little bit. The announcement was made that Tyler Shuck would get the start uh, for Texas Tech. I've always kind of been more of a Donovan Smith guy myself in that quarterback battle. Where did you fall on that Parker theme? Do you think that the Lubbock or the, the Lubbock, the Texas Tech Red Raiders got it right? I think all things considered, those two guys are pretty reasonably close in terms of their talent level and ceiling. I do like Tyler Shuck, and I don't know if he's gotten a fair shake because he did deal with the injury last year. And so I don't know if the rest of the college football world realizes what type of quarterback he truly is. I don't know if they've had the opportunity to realize that. So I'm glad for Tyler Shuck that he's getting his shot. And I think when you look at the the new look Texas tech program and what they're trying to build and their offensive vision in particular under new offensive coordinator, Zach Kitley, uh, who was at Western Kentucky previously where uh, they ran a very high octane style of offense. I think Tyler Shuck is pretty tailor made to have a lot of success in an offensive scheme like Zach Kitley's. So in Donovan Smith, you know you have a guy that's waiting in the wings that has played some, uh, he's played a lot of ball and he's capable of stepping in and filling the void if things don't pan out. But I do think you made the right decision in going with Tyler Shuck because he is the more experienced guy at this point in time. And I think when you look at what Kitley accomplished at Western Kentucky most recently with Bailey Zappi at the quarterback position, I wonder if Shuck surprises some people and opens some eyes this year with the type of production that I believe he can have in Tech's offense. It feels like it's been eons ago that we were talking about Shuck at Oregon, but that actually was part of our human experience. That was, in fact, a piece of our existence. And, you know, I'm with you. I think that he's really talented. And unfortunately, the injury bug just obviously prevented that a year ago and kind of maybe – Honestly, and I'm not saying you, Parker, but definitely for myself, honestly, kind of forgot about Chuck a little bit when thinking about that quarterback competition down there at Texas Tech. That could be a sneaky quarterback competition in the Big 12. I don't know if Texas Tech across the board is talented enough to legitimately finish in that upper half of the Big 12. But, man, I, I start thinking about just the Big 12 quarterback pecking order. And I don't think it's crazy, Parker, to see Shuck potentially in that upper half of the Big 12 just among quarterbacks. Well, the bar is low, isn't it? Because at this point in time, you've got – you think about the guys who have proven themselves to one level or another, have proven that they're at least serviceable Power 5 quarterbacks. you got Dylan Gabriel, Adrian Martinez, and that's about it, isn't it? Like, am Spencer I forgetting Sanders, anybody? That's it. Like, yeah, Spencer whoever. Sanders is about to, to me, probably. Oh, okay, be, Spencer Sanders. There I you mean, go. He's, he's right. right there in that Dylan Gabriel tier. And I mean, we've talked a lot about it on the show here. My, uh, let's just, let, I'm not going to say, I'm going to try and couch it a little bit more kinder uh, than I've been to Adrian Martinez at times. But I just don't think he's in that upper tier of quarterback in, in the Big 12. And I might stand alone on this. This might be John Island over here, but. Yeah, I think Dylan Gabriel, Spencer Sanders, and then, yeah, it's a bunch of who, who, could, ne who could be that next guy that steps up into that upper tier. Uh, I think a lot of people may, might point to Quinn Ewers. I don't know, but a lot of that's going to just depend on how the first half of the season goes for him and if he's not 
just completely, you know, demolished by the Crimson Tide. Yeah, well, look, there's reason to believe, and that was that was an oversight on my part, leaving Spencer Sanders out of that conversation. But um, they're in Stillwater; they're, they're not listening to the show. It's okay. <laughs> Uh, well, I think there's reason to believe that a guy like Blake Shapin could elevate himself into that tier. Uh, there's always the chance that it all comes together for JT Daniels. I don't know how realistic that is at this point, especially West Virginia, but uh, he's got to be in the conversation in that second tier. Uh, I'll be curious to see what we get out of Hunter Deckers at Iowa State. And then I think the biggest question mark of all is uh, – what kind of player is Quinn Ewers and what kind of quarterback can he be at the university of Texas? Um, he's got weapons. This needs to be understood and acknowledged. And we're not just talking about B. John Robinson and Xavier worthy. He's got a ton of ancillary weapons at his disposal. Obviously he just lost two of them. Isaiah Neor is going to miss the season uh, with that knee injury and Lord knows when a Jai hall, if a Jai hall gets reinstated, but you look at guys like Jalil Billingsley, for instance, uh, you just go down the pecking order in that receiver room at Texas. He's going to have an arsenal, regardless of whether that includes Hall at some point or not. So uh, if if it all comes together for Ewers, he has the chance to be tremendously productive. We just, quite frankly, at this point, we don't know. All right. And so one last topic we're going to touch on before we get you out of here, Parker. So Miguel Chavis, defensive end coach for the Oklahoma Sooners, asked the question, does the college football playoff need expansion beyond the current four-team model? His answer, he answered his own rhetorical question. My belief is this, an expanded college football playoff benefits far outweigh leaving it at four teams. How about playoff home games? More invested fan bases nationally, local economic growth, less bowl skips by players, more fun for fans. Your initial reaction to that, Parker? I mean, look, my my hot take for years has been make the college football playoff the football equivalent of March Madness. Make it a 64-team tournament because, I mean, that that is the one way to ensure you get maximum engagement from everybody involved. And, you know, you, you have the conversation all the time about, how well, the national champion at that point would be playing like 19 games. And it's like, well, I mean, if you go to the Super Bowl, that's what you're playing in the NFL. So it's not completely unheard of to play that many football games over the course of a season. I am very much of the understanding that that will probably never happen. Um, I don't have a strong belief that the college football playoff needs to be expanded. And honestly, unless that 64 team model that is, I, I just adore it in my mind, but as long as that model remains implausible, um, I I could honestly care less what the uh, what the playoff model looks like because the reality is the fourteen playoff that we have right now it gives you the top tier in college football generally without exception. I don't know if the top tier most years even consists of four teams. Some years it's only two or three. And so if you expand to eight, sure, I could I could get on board with that. I wouldn't have a problem with it. But I also don't know if that's going to yield different or more exciting results year over year. Because to me, generally, every single season in college football, with a few exceptions here and there, you typically have two or three teams 
that stand head and shoulders above the rest. And when it comes down to it, those are going to be the two or three teams that legitimately have a shot to play for and win a national championship, regardless of how big the field is, whether that's eight teams, 12 teams, even 16 teams. I still believe that more often than not, you'd probably see two teams of that caliber and from that top tier emerge as the teams that play each other in the national championship game when it's all said and done. So uh, I, it's not, I know it's not the sexiest perspective, but I honestly don't have a strong opinion as to what the next era of playoff football looks like. I'm fine. If it stays at four, I'm fine. If it expands. I think the thing that drives the expansion for me is the idea of a home playoff game. Like how great would it be if you're in Norman in December and you're welcoming in say Michigan state or something like that, or, you know, Penn state or Hey, USC for a home playoff game. Like I just think that just creates a, a, a whole new level of intrigue to the college football postseason that we don't currently get now with, with the bowl system and the way the college football playoff is set up. And so that, that's why I'm very much on board with expansion. I, if they go to expansion and keep the bowl system as part of it, I would be furious because a December game in Norman or even up in, you know, in Columbus, Ohio State hosting a playoff game where they're bringing in USC or something like that for a home playoff game in the middle of winter. Like that's like to me, the, the traditionalists, that it would be against expansion. Like that's kind of one of the reasons for expansion. Cause you get all these bowl games in these warmer climates and you don't get what quote unquote real football looks like when they're playing in a potential snowstorm or something like that. And so I'm, I want the home playoff game, at least for the first round of things you can give it to me for two rounds. You can just make it all three rounds until you get to the national championship game home playoff, because it creates a much more exciting environment than the neutral site games that we get with the bowl system. I love it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm pro home games in uh, the postseason. I think anyway, you can try and mix the bowl games into again, say, you know, games in Norman, Tuscaloosa, you name it. I mean, I think you can have that all mesh together and work for an expanded college football playoff. But like Parker said, I kind of agree with a lot of what he said too, which is look, if we're not, <laughs> I like the 64 team model that Parker's talked about in the past. I think that's exciting, but if it's, you know, like right now at four, quite frankly, is better than it was with the BCS. And I don't think there's really any legitimate complaints that we've had any one of these years since we've had the college football playoff at four that, oh man, we left the we left the national champion out of this thing. I don't think we're at that point. But again, if it expands out to eight or 16, I think would be natural. Then you have two home site games. I mean, I think that'd be awesome for the city of Norman or, you know, insert your college town here. So I'm all about that. All right, Parker, one last thing. Biggest question mark for the Oklahoma Sooners heading into the season? Linebacker depth. I mean, it's probably the most obvious take at this point in time, but with TD Roof done for the year with that bicep injury, there's some legitimate questions as to who the second line of defense is, no pun intended, uh, in that linebacker court because you have four guys that have played some ball before and have, have played a decent amount of ball during their time in Norman, Deshaun White, David Aguebu, Danny Stutzman, and Shane Witter as well. Beyond that, it's freshmen, man. It's Jaron Kanick. It's Kobe McKenzie. It's Kip Lewis. Then you're maybe throwing in a walk-on like Jake McCoy uh, as a guy that could 
end up getting a rep here, a rep there, a snap here, a snap there once you get into the season. So uh, you're really banking on those four guys being all that you expect uh, that they can be and believe they can be under the direction of Brent Venables and Ted Roof. And you're also counting on them seeing the football field a lot and playing a lot of snaps because uh, when you look at that freshman group, I don't know if Kobe McKenzie and Kip Lewis are quite ready yet, at least not from what I've gathered and speaking with folks close to the program. Jaron Kanick is there physically, but playing linebacker in Brent Venable's defense is very, very cognitively challenging. And that's the one area of the game. Uh, and I'm not calling Jaron Kanick dumb, but he's a true freshman. Right. It's and everybody's kind of learning this thing on the same curve. But the more ball you played at the collegiate level, the easier it is for you to adjust to a new scheme. Jaron Kanick hasn't, unlike the four guys, uh, the four upperclassmen in that group right now. So I think Jaron Kanick will play and will play a decent amount for Oklahoma. Uh, He may hear his number called more than even he expects, to be quite frank. Uh, if you see an injury at that position or if one of those four guys that I mentioned just doesn't bring it for whatever reason, just isn't all there. Uh, but you're, you're really banking at this point on Jaron Kanick uh, being all that as a true freshman because uh, if, uh, if you get into a situation where you have a guy go down due to injury, Uh, you lose somebody. Well, you're down to three linebackers on your entire roster that have played any college football. And so at that point, not only are you relying more heavily on Canik, but you're also going to have to work some guys into the mix, i.e. Jake McCoy, Kobe McKenzie, Kip Lewis, uh, that maybe your best laid plans didn't account for this early on in the process. Yeah, I think that's a, a big issue that they're going to have to face at some point because injuries happen. It's a part of the game, and we're seeing it down right now in Austin. We've already lost one to a season-ending injury in TD Roof. We hope that it doesn't exacerbate with more injuries down the line, but it's just part of the game. It's just inevitable. Injuries are. And so hopefully you know, some of these guys get up to speed a little bit quicker, but hopefully the linebacker depth chart stays pretty well intact throughout most of the season. But – I mean, it's a grind of the season. So I think that I think that's a very worthwhile concern heading into 2022. Hey, we're, I don't know, when this drops on Monday for you podcast listeners, we're going to be 30 or 12 days away from UTEP. So get excited. The Brent Venables era is about to take place on the field. We're not going to be talking about it anymore. But that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thank you so much to Parker Thune. You can check him out at OU Insider. 247 sports make sure you go and get a premium subscription over there to get the vip membership you get a lot of great recruiting nuggets in there with him and brandon drum behind the scenes stuff that you won't get anywhere else so go check it out over there parker's the man we always appreciate him coming on the show uh but yeah we'll catch you next time for josh helmer parker thune i'm john williams boomer sooner